Previously, on Survived by One, Tom Odell described the day leading up to the murders. Survived by One, The Life and Mind of a Family Mass Murderer by Robert E. Hanlon with Thomas V. Odell. Episode 11, Murder, November 8th, 1985. I sound like a broken record to myself when I continually ask myself what caused me to do something like that, because there was no formulation of a plan, no weighing of the punishment, and there was no decision to commit those acts in advance. This was my struggle with myself. If there had been a plan, I probably would feel better knowing that I had made a conscious decision, got caught, and am now being punished for committing those crimes. But instead, I recall the day like an old movie I saw on TV. It just doesn't sound or feel like me. It took me a while to really accept that this happened. I was worried that somebody was going to come by the house because I didn't tell anybody, because I didn't want anybody to know. I got home about 2 o'clock. I watched a little bit of TV, cleaned up a little bit, cleaned the blood off of the TV, off the refrigerator, the floor, the table and chairs. Sexton's brief encounter with Tom on the day of the murders would haunt her for many years to come. Unaware that Carolyn and Bob already lay dead inside, she arrived at the Odal home to share some news with her friend. The day he was supposed to be out was the day he killed them. I came by the house that day because Carolyn came to the school that morning, but she wasn't feeling well. I'm sure it was an emotional thing for her, all that was going on, with her son being forced out of the house. I'm sure she was having a hard time dealing with it. Normally I wouldn't have gone over to their house, but I hadn't heard from my parents for a while. They had been on a trip to the Bahamas, and I was kind of upset because I hadn't heard from my mom. Carolyn said, if you don't hear from them soon, I'm going to call them myself and tell them they need to call you because you're upset. You know, she was concerned about me. But I had gotten a letter in the mail from my mom that day, and I was taking it over to show her because I was excited. So I went to their house, and Tommy came out and met me at my car. I didn't even get all the way out of my car. I had one foot on the gravel and one foot in my car, and he was talking to me. And I said, well, where's your mom? Because her car was there. Both cars were still there. And he said, oh, she went to lunch with a friend. And I said, do you know when she'll be back? And he said, no, but I'm sure she'll call you. It seemed perfectly fine. I knew she had a friend coming into town, and maybe they were spending the whole day together. So I didn't think anything of it. After I dropped Teresa off, I went back home to smoke some weed. I was feeling the acid pretty good by that time. I also found some Jack Daniels in the house and went to drinking that. I think I drank about half a pint real quick, but I ended up throwing it back up after a while. I never was really a drinker and couldn't hold alcohol very well. So I went back to smoking the weed that I had gotten while I was at the high school. I was smoking the joints as if they were cigarettes. Back then I was smoking maybe a pack and a half a day. I didn't smoke very many cigarettes that day. 
I was sitting there rolling and smoking when my little brother came home from school. We lived only a few blocks from the grade school, so my brother Scott walked home most every day, unless it was really cold out. Just before Scott came home, Yvonne, my mother's friend, stopped by the house and wanted to show my mother some pictures. But I stepped out on the porch and told her that she was at home. She said she would catch up with her later on, and she left. Then Scott came home about a half hour later. When he got home, we just sat and talked about school, and he asked where mom and dad were. I told him they were gone for the moment. I had towels down on the floor where I had drugged my dad in there on the floor. I told him it was paint. We were just sitting there talking and watching television, and then I told him to come back to our room for a second because there was something I wanted to show him. My intention was to show him something I had just gotten the night before, but on the way back there, something came over me, and the next thing I knew, I had his neck in my hands, squeezing. I was squeezing so hard it caused cramps in my hands and forearms, so I grabbed this pajama top or bottom and tied it around his neck and drug him into the master bedroom where my mother was. I stood there and looked at him. I didn't know what to do anymore, as this was out of control and I couldn't stop myself. I think it was then that I decided to kill myself when it was all done. It was like I knew my other brother and sister were going to meet the same fate, and I had decided to do it also. I had to finish it all, with me being the last one to go, but I wanted one night to myself, as if I meant something. Larry called and shook me out of my daze and asked if I was coming to pick them up. I told him I'd pick them up at about 4.30 or so. Then we hung up, and I went to go pick up my sister and brother from school. I remember almost getting into a couple of accidents while driving to pick them up, but somehow I managed to avoid an accident. I was driving in the middle of the tracers I was seeing, hoping I would stay on the road. While Tom drove his father's car to the school to pick up Robin and Sean, Sexton returned to the Odal home. I went to pick up my kids from school and went back over to the house because I figured the kids would be home by then. But Bob's car was gone and Carolyn's car was still there, so I thought she was home. I went around the house because they had this house where the bedrooms were in the back and that's where everyone went when they got home. I knew if I knocked on the front door they might not hear me, but I couldn't get any response from anyone, so I left and didn't go back. I believe that during that time he was picking up Robin and Sean with his dad's car. Once we got home, I knew what was going to happen. I couldn't even look at my brother Sean, nor did I want him to see me. So I blindfolded him, and I think I tied his hands behind his back. I don't know why I tied his hands, but I do know I didn't want him to look at me or see what I was doing. I remember stabbing him a couple times, although during the trial they said it was numerous times. Again, that same angry voice was telling me how it just had to be done. I'd walked out of the room to collect myself and try to shake everything off when I heard stumbling around. When I opened the door, Sean was up and walking around with blood all over his face, with the blindfold off and his hands undone. He was holding his throat and waving his hands. I freaked out and just started stabbing him in the head a lot and the back of the neck. 
He fell down right next to Scott and didn't move anymore after that. I kept asking myself what was going on, but there was no answer. Inside myself, I did not want this to happen, but it would not stop. I could not stop myself. Once I walked out of the bedroom, I went and got my sister. I put my hand over her eyes and walked her to the bedroom. I told her I had a surprise for her. She goes, this better be a good surprise. I took my hand off her eyes and said, surprise. She turned pale. She turned very, very pale. I thought she was going to have a heart attack right there and then. Then she started hollering at me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let me go. I told her I couldn't because she had already seen them. So I stabbed her in the neck four or five times and stabbed her in the side. She fell on the bed and there was blood just gushing out of her neck. It was going all over the bed. And then she just plopped in the corner. I felt ashamed, but it wasn't enough to stop me from doing to her what I had done to everyone else in my family, the family I belonged to. The angry me voice stopped yelling at me once I walked out of the bedroom. I had blood all over me, all over my face, my hands. Cut my hands real bad when I was stabbing him in the head. I took a shower, changed my clothes, grabbed some money off the dresser, and off I went. I locked up everything and was going to live my last night with some friends and my girlfriend. Tom placed the butcher knife on the dresser in the bedroom within a few feet of the bodies of his family. He took about $15 from his mother's purse and another 7 from his father's pants pocket. Then he locked the back door and left the house. It was 4.15pm. He had almost made the 4 o'clock deadline to be out of the home. After he closed the back door, silence filled the Odal house. His home, the scene of many arguments, accusations, and altercations, was still. Tom walked around the house and once again got in his father's car, a 1978 Mercury Marquis. He had not been allowed to drive his father's car since he had returned from the army. It was off limits. But now, finally, there were no limits. He drove around town for a while and picked up Larry and Kim. Then he drove to the gas station across from the Burger King to pick up Teresa. She got in, and they continued to cruise around town for another hour. Earlier, they had made plans to spend the night at the Travel Inn Motel, a 10th Street motel. They arrived there at 6.30 p.m. I picked up Larry and Kim. We smoked some weed on the way to pick up Teresa at a gas station, where she was waiting for me. We went to Larry's brother's place, where I started really getting higher. Then I went out and bought some more weed for the night, as well as some dust. I think I bought another quarter ounce of weed. We left there after smoking some weed, and I went and found a motel room for Teresa and me for the night. I got the room, and I remember the clerk having to count out the money because I couldn't do it myself since I was so high. I don't know if I was still tripping or not. We went to the room. Teresa, Larry, Kim, and myself were all there. Teresa had had enough weed, so Larry and I started smoking by ourselves while the girls watched movies on the TV. After a while, Kim was ready to go home, so I took Kim and Larry home while Teresa stayed at the motel room. I don't think either one of us went to sleep for very long, if at all. 
I just couldn't sleep at all. I just laid there while I tossed and turned all night. I kept thinking if what had happened that day was real or not, because it did not seem real at all. I could not get over the feeling that something bad had happened and I was responsible. But I couldn't accept that what had happened really happened. I was thinking I was on a bad trip and that what I thought had happened was just some imaginary movie playing in my head. But when we got up the next morning, Teresa called her friend, who told her that the police were looking for both of us. At that instant, I knew it was real. It's like this thing just chose me. I feel like it chose me, not me choosing it. Why? I have no clue. I just know I had had enough. Why this particular action took place? Why I chose this day or this particular time? I don't know. It was like I was looking at myself from the outside. It was me doing everything, but it wasn't me. It was like somebody else. Like it really wasn't happening. Like a dream or something. But it was real. I don't know why I had to do it. I had to. I just had to.